Hi, you're listening to the sermon recording podcast of Awaken Church. Awaken is a church of missional communities whose vision is to see individuals experience healing through the gospel, be raised to their fullest potential among community, and sent out to live a life on mission. You can find out more online at awakenvb.com. And if you live in Hampton Roads, we invite you to check out our worship gathering in the Haygood area of Virginia Beach, Saturday evenings at 5 p.m. Thank you for listening. So, Philip started us off last week in our book study of James. It was a family gathering, so it was really, really, it was more about us, right? Talking about James in our tables and um, discussing it, which is always good. It's a good way to start that. But before we get into chapter 2, which is what we're talking about tonight, um, let's recap a little bit. So, you guys are doing your devotional, right? Your James devotional? So if you're doing it, then you get to help me with this recap because you should know some of these answers. We're going to start with a real obvious one, a real easy one, like everybody can get it. Who wrote the book of James? James. Guys, you're brilliant. You're brilliant. Yes. Who is James? Jesus' half-brother. Okay. So James ended up being, like in Galatians, it says he ended up being a pillar in the church. So James, though, did start off as Jesus' half-brother, but unbelieving half-brother. So it took James seeing Jesus in his resurrected form until James said, oh, I believe, I understand everything that you have said, and now I'm going to follow you. So this is written by James. We established that. And who is James writing to? We talked about this last week, so you you didn't even have to do your devotional, although you should be doing your devotional. So who is James writing to? It says in James 1.1 that he's writing to the scattered Jewish tribes. So these are his people who were persecuted and sent out from where James is living. So he's writing to these scattered Jewish tribes, and he's writing to them because they're struggling. They're having a hard time, and James is trying to help them out. So he's writing because their problems are consisting of temptation, and trials, and pain, and difficulty controlling their tongues. This is happening inside and outside of the church. So they're having all kinds of trouble. James is writing to them to help them out. So before we move any, any farther forward, I would like to point out something that may seem off topic, but I think it's very important, especially as you're doing your devotional, that it doesn't, it, it doesn't seem... Um, It seems like a duh kind of thing, but we know that James was writing to these 12 scattered tribes. Therefore, he was not writing directly to us, right? Just like Paul, when he was writing to the church in Ephesus in Ephesians, he was writing to the church in Ephesus, not us, right? But God had a bigger plan. I know, duh, but God had a bigger plan. And I was just reminded of how amazing that plan was, of how God, who used James, who didn't even believe in what Jesus was saying when he was hearing it by Jesus, from Jesus' mouth, like sitting in Jesus' teachings, he's hearing these words, but he doesn't believe it. But eventually he does believe, and then God uses him to directly impact us now. And James maybe had an idea of the bigger picture, but maybe didn't. And I am just reminded of how, how, how much power it this book has. The words in this book, this is God-breathed. 
So Jesus uses these words in this book to change my life, to change our lives, if we choose to take the time to study it. And that, I mean, that was like a duh thing, but I was like, you know what, God? I'm sorry, because I lose my awe and wonder at times. Like, this is amazing how you use James, and James didn't even know it. And James was a mess, and James didn't even believe it. But you chose to use him anyway and pass it down to me, and thank you for that. So rem just remember those little things as you're studying. Like, that is, it seems like a duh thing, but you know what? This is powerful. The words in here are powerful because it's Jesus. They're God-breathed, and Jesus' life is in here. And when we study Jesus' life, we can't help but be transformed, and that's what happened to James. He was transformed, and we're going to find out tonight that transformation starts with faith. So we boil it all down, who James is talking to, and why he's talking to them, who he's writing to them, and we find out all the issues they're having, and we can pretty much summarize it into a couple of words, right? Spiritual immaturity, that's what he's talking to them about. They are just really having trouble because they know all of this stuff, but they're really having a hard time living it out. And that is spiritually immature. So he's trying to help them with that. Philip mentioned last week, and we just wanna recap real quick, that um, in, ver in James 1, 2 through 4, he talks, the word perfection comes up in this verse. I want to make sure that we understand, just like Philip said, this is talking about this maturity process. This perfection here means becoming mature and complete. It's not about being right. It's not about being without fault. So just make sure that's a good reminder that this is about being mature and complete. So that's why it builds off of. And when we grow up in the faith, that produces transformation. And transformation then is proven by our action, is what we're gonna to get to tonight. So we also looked at last week, as we're recapping, in verse 22, to um, be doers of the word, not just hearers of the word. So that was a good stepping stone for tonight, because that's really what we're gonna talk about. So James is talking about addressing the spiritually immature, and his audience is really having trouble living the thing out, living out their faith, living out the words that they're hearing, living out what's in the scripture that they have. So, before we move on anymore, I want to change gears a little bit. And we're going to get back to this. So that's a good summary of where James is, who James is, who he's talking to, what's going on. But before we do that, I want to make another point that James has written to Jewish Christians, and it's written, James is like Jewish to the core, okay? He's not a Christian Jewish person. He's a Jewish Christian. If you do research on him, he was Jewish first and then Christian second, if that makes sense. So the book that he wrote, he wrote would obviously have ties to his Jewish faith, right? So when we want to study James, we really need to know Jewish culture to understand all the little things going on in James. The problem is I don't have time to teach you all of that tonight. So what I want us to do then is you guys do that on your own in, with your devotionals. Build off of that because there's so much. Guys, we teach you what comes to our hearts when we study, but there's so much in James chapter 2. I can't, even, I can't even get to a portion of it. So study it on your own and do that devotional because I can't, I can't teach you all of it. So you guys have to do some of it yourself. We can't teach you all of it. So um, we're going to do tonight 
something different, since I don't have time to teach you the Jewish culture and pick out some of these Jewish things, let's just go ahead and pretend like it was written to us in our westernized culture, okay? So we're going to kind of spread it out that way, and then you guys on your own can take some time to dig deeper and understand what those Jewish pieces of culture and how they relate to James and how then we can learn even more from it and build off of it. But let's start in um, chapter 2, since that's what we're supposed to be um, talking about tonight, in verses 1 through 4 of James chapter 2. This is what it says. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes to you in your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, you stand over there, or sit down at my feet, have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Okay, so here's what I want to get into tonight. And as a preface, before we, another one, I'm full of them tonight, this is near and dear to me. It might seem simple to some of you, or maybe you just won't get it, but this, is my, this has been my journey for the last year. This is the road I've been walking. So these words that I'm trying to explain tonight are something that I've been living out, and it's messy still. Does that make sense? So I'm praying, Lord, please, Holy Spirit, in this place tonight, we ask you to, to dig through the mess that some truth, some truth would be found in this. And not my words, but the Lord, those of the Lord's, because it is near to my heart right now, so it's a little bit messy. But when God laid it on my heart and didn't take it away, I said, okay, that's what we got to talk about then. And so that's what we're going to do. All right. So this, we're at James chapter 2, 1 through 4. So when we look at this through our Western lens, the way we can kind of describe it is our culture lives in an um, outward and upward style. That's our approach to life, right? So we're climbing the corporate ladder. We're living for the status quo, keeping up with the Joneses. Our daily... Um, you know, account for how well we did is how many likes we got or how many shares we got or who read my Twitter post and commented on it, right? It's about um, all this outward stuff getting us to the top, right? That's how the world, our Western culture, lives in general. That's how we live. So what does this have to do with the passage we um, we just read? The problem with this is when we live that way, then our treatment of other people aligns with that, correct? So then we look at people and we say, what good are you to me? I align with you if I get something from you. I align with you if what you are talking about um, does something for me. It gives me another rung on the ladder, right? So this outward and upward approach to life is selfish. That's not how Jesus lived. And I think that's why it's scary, because if we really study Jesus' life, we're going to realize that Jesus started on the inside, and his action flowed from a humble, self-aware, surrendered spot, not this outward, upward. And what flowed from that was beautiful, and we have the chance to be a part of it if we so choose. 
So, as we look back at verse 1, it says, show no partiality. And, and then in the NIV, it uses the word favoritism instead of partiality. And what this word means in the Greek, it, it means literally lifting the face. So, um, I don't want to get on the floor. Does someone want to? I need someone to, who's willing to lay out on the floor for me. Okay, so what this means in... Huh? Right here is fine. No, on your stomach. Lay out face flat on the floor. So what this means, face on the floor, yes. This right here, when you wanted to get an audience with a ruler during the time this, during this was written, um, you would do this. You would enter and you would lay flat on your face in front of the ruler, the king, whatever. And then he, the word favoritism comes in here, would give you permission to lift your face. So at any point, it could be a minute or it could be all day, depending on the mood of the ruler, he would say, lift your face. And you could lift your face, you can lift your face. Lift your face. So that's what, when the word partiality or favoritism is used here, this is the image that it's presenting. Thank you, Lonnie. I think it's important. <laughs> I would have gotten on the floor, but I think it would have cackled this thing. So that is what he's talking about here. So our outward and upward approach then becomes, you get on the floor before me, and when I deem it necessary, I'll tell you to lift your face. Do you see this approach? Do you see what's happening when we live in this outward, upward way? The world around us becomes for us, not us for them. Therefore, we somehow along the line, I don't know who we thought we are, but somewhere along the line, we thought, I'll give you permission and I'll tell you when you can lift your face to me. We got it backwards, guys. We got it backwards. And we're going to find out that this faith thing that we're moving on to and favoritism, they don't mix. They can't mix. They don't mix. Because we need to live from an inward and downward approach, the opposite way. What's this inward and downward thing? You guys... I made a mistake and accidentally missed a verse, so it's not on, your, on the screen. I'm so sorry. It's my fault, not theirs. Um, but if we look at James chapter 2, verse 26, it says, For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so faith apart from works is dead. So what we mean by inward and downwards is, it, it means to look inside, right? Inward, look into ourselves. Because we're all motivated by something. And our motivations, obviously, help us understand why we do what we do, right? If we don't understand what motivates us, then our faith becomes disconnected from our actions. And they're disconnected from us. Is this thing, it feels like it's coming in and out. So that leads to what James is talking about here. If that happens, if we don't understand what's going on the inside of us, then that's like when it says the spirit apart from the body is dead. So the spirit's the internal, the body is the external. When faith aparts from works is dead then. So faith is the internal and the works are external. If you don't have both, that disconnection happens. So the inward and downward is inside, which leads us downward which obviously points to our feet, which is gonna put us into action. Does that make sense? You guys tracking with that? It's the complete opposite of what the world says. 
So we're dealing, James, when he's writing, he's dealing with spiritually immature people, which definitely, when you relate to, when you look at the problems that they had in James, in all of this, it relates to us, right? We're, this, we're having the same issues even now, and that was part, it, did, it makes sense that God had this bigger plan when it came for, with Scripture, because we all ended up in the same place in some way, shape, or form. So, what happens is they weren't living it out. We aren't living it out in some ways, and sometimes all of us, some of us, I'm not going to judge that, but w- w- at some point we're not living it out. And so they weren't proving their faith, and sometimes we're not proving our faith. So what's this disconnect? Because, you know, Jewish people had Scripture memorized. The Scripture they had access to was memorized and even passed down word from word. So they had all of this in them. So where was the disconnect? So here's what I'm thinking. First, let me tell you a story or explain something to you because I have a feeling that not many people are going to understand what it is. So I grew up in the church, like literally born in the church nursery, was there every time the church doors were open, did everything that I could possibly do. Youth group, youth missions trips, went everywhere, did everything, all of that. And so I was also a part of something called Bible quizzing. Does anybody know what that is? Ah! Wow, I'm super impressed. Well, I'm going to try to explain it for those of you that don't. So what happens is we'd get in groups of like three to five teams. We had teams. I was in the West Penn district, so we were usually like West Penn 1 and West Penn 2. You know, that's fun names. Like We didn't make up our own names. But um, we would be in teams of three or four, five, and then we would memorize books of the Bible and um, commit them to memory. And then what would happen is we would meet with other youth groups in our district, all those districts of churches. I don't know, there's like 30 churches maybe. So all of these church youth groups would come together on a Saturday. So we'd give up our Saturdays and we'd have quiz rallies. So in my nice polo shirt that said West Penn on it, and it was back in the day when you bloused them out, you tucked them in and bloused them out real big. So and I had a scrunchie, all that stuff. Um, I'm dating myself. Uh, You would get like a bench of chairs like this. They would set it up like this. And what happens is they would put these uh, pad type things that had lights built, little, well, not lights built into them because that would be funny, but little buttons built into them. And they would tape them to the seats. And then they were connected to a light board up here. So what happened was we would line up in our chairs. I know I'm not facing you. We'd sit something like this and we'd have all these the book's memorized, okay? And then the quiz master would ask a question and he would stand up here at a podium, something like this, and he would say, question, question number one. According to James, <laughs> and people would jump, okay? And then whoever's butt came off the seat first, their light would go off first. And then some, the judge sitting at the table would say, West Penn, number two. And by the way, you were ranked by how many points you got. So if you were the highest scoring person on your team, you were one, like an orchestra, you know, first violin, that kind of thing. You were first quizzer if you got the most points at other rallies. So anyway, so you would finish the question. So let's say he said he got out to, according to James 1-1 who, then the person who stood up would have to first finish the question and then answer it. So he would say, finish the question, and you would say, according to James 1.1, who, or what, I don't know, I'm not an English person, so don't correct me, (laughs) was scattered, question mark. And he would say, go ahead and answer. And then I would say, the 12 tribes. 
and he would say, correct. Or if I got it wrong, then the other team would have someone stand up and they would answer a bonus question. So this is a lot of detail first. Are you getting what I'm saying though? So my job on this team was the verses. That's what I did. I memorized all the verses. There'd be certain verses that they would lay out and say, these are going to be finished the verses and finish this verses and I'm not going to get into why they're different. But I would memorize the verses. So what that meant was I would carry with me stacks of index cards with Bible verses on them, and I would have to memorize them word for word because they had to be word for word or you got it wrong. And they were worth more points. They were worth 30 points, I think, instead of 20. But they were worth more points, so that was, I was like the, wep- the verse weapon on my team. So if it said, if the, question, if the quiz master said, question number two, finish this verse, and I would jump on those. And you usually got like a syllable of the first word out, k, and you would jump. And then I would be like, okay, k. James, in all of James, what verses started with k? <clears throat> and I would probably say, consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many times kinds because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance that's NIV not ESV but and he would say correct and I would get the points so the point is I had I just quizzed on Matthew I quizzed on the Corinthians James Luke Acts John I quizzed in all of these books which means I just threw them away this year I had like a tote full of index cards with verses on them and I had them all memorized at one point all of them memorized, word for word. Holy crap. Um, we're going over tonight, guys. I'm just telling you that now, so get comfortable. <laughs> we are going over. I had all these verses memorized, but they did not do me any good if I didn't live them out. And that's what James was saying. You can be hearers of the word, but if you aren't doers of the word, then what does it matter? I, I had a choice. I had all those verses in my head, and I could do something with them or just sit on them. And I'm sad to say, a lot of times I just sat on them. And we have that option too. That's what James was saying. So let's look at James. Let's move on because we're running out of time. Sorry, guys. <laughs> two, James chapter 2, 14, verse 14. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is it? So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. So here's where we're getting into the faith in action part. But first, let's talk about works. When we're, I think because of our outward and upward approach, we sometimes think if we do something, we get something. So we can, we can take this word works and think, oh, I have to do something. No, we don't do anything. It's Jesus' work on the cross that gets us. It's not how we, we don't get him through doing something. Okay, so that's Ephesians 2.8. For by grace you have been saved. It's not of your own doing. It's a gift of God. Read, get to day 17, because it will tell you all about that in, in the devotional. Get to James 17. So works then is our proof, right? That's what works were meant to be, proof of what we believe. And guys, if we don't live it, then maybe we don't believe it. That's the question we have to ask ourselves. Do we really believe? Do we really believe? Then we should be living it. And it should, we should be living it naturally. It should just flow out of us. It should flow from that inward and downward journey, that stuff inside. So, action is the proof of what we believe. So then action has to 
flow from our faith to prove that we have it, right? So in Christian culture, sometimes I think we think that having faith is like equal to, I accepted Jesus, so I have faith and I just get it. No, faith should constantly be growing. It's, it's not just something we get and then have. It has to grow and it has to grow from my journey through this, right? This is what Jesus said. This is who he says he was and what he said he was going to do is all in here. And if I have faith, it starts here. I have to put forth some effort. I have to do something in order for that faith to grow. And it has to start with the internal side. So what is faith? Who knows Hebrews 11.1? 1? What is faith? Yes, the conviction of things unseen. So that faith and understanding that he is, we trust him completely. When we don't live out that faith, we're saying we don't trust him. We're saying I don't believe. But that starts with this inward and downward journey. We have to look inside first because we've already, most of us have already lived the road for a while where we've realized this outward and upward one isn't getting us anywhere because it's not connected to anything. So our faith grows and then action happens because action should be a byproduct of our growing faith. That's how we know that we're growing because this action happens naturally. That's called transformation. And that happens by becoming more like Jesus. So I call it proving it. And in my house, I use that phrase a lot. Like my kids say, yeah, I heard you, mom. And I say, prove it. I want to see it because I know that my kids did not hear me if I asked them to do something and they don't do it, right? The proof is in the action. But the proof, the action cannot flow. Action that comes by itself is only going to go as far as us. Does that make sense? It, it's got to be connected to a source. That source comes from the inward and downward journey. The inward and downward journey is hard, guys. And we don't want it because, I mean, look, at when you go inward and downward, what are you doing, essentially? You're looking inside yourself. You're finding the dark places. Who, as a kid, was scared of the dark? I was. Yes, exactly. So why do you want to dig into those dark places? Why do you want to unbury those things and examine them? Because it's in those dark places. When we can expose them to the light, then we can say, God, I trust you. It starts in there. It starts inside, and that's where I've been over the last year, this inward and downward journey inside first. And from that, that's when we can say, God, I trust you. God, help me grow in this. Then this inward downward, we start to move from our action on our own without, without needing something back from what we do. So how do we gain this inward and downward? How does it grow? How does it, we understand what it is. We got to go inward and downward. We got to look inside, but what does that involve? And I know that as I've been studying lately, this word patience, when I was studying James chapter two, this word patience, as I read, like seriously guys, everywhere I go, it's the word patience. I'm like, all right, God, I, I, what, what? Patience. All right, God, this inward and downward journey, I need, to, I need to know you more. I'm studying, I'm following, I'm giving, I'm giving up my time, I'm giving up things that I want because I want to know you more. 
so that this inward and downward journey starts, so that from that, true faith happens. Patience. So what does patience mean? I mean, we know it means now to tolerate delay, trouble, suffering without getting angry. But if you trace it back, it it used to mean just to suffer. And Henry Nouwen, I really like to read Henry Nouwen. He was a professor, an author, a whole bunch of things. This is what he says about patience. He says, to be patient is to experience the pain of your life. And I already said I was going over. And what that means is to experience the pain of your life means you can't reframe it. You can't run from it. You can't change it. You can't pretend it's not there. And that's what the outward and upward journey says, right? Like, hey, we're moving out and up. Forget about that stuff. But God says, no, you want to know my son better? You want the Holy Spirit to work in your life? Then you have to sit patiently. But sit and move at the same time. I know it's hard. But This inward and downward journey starts with this patience that means sitting in our sufferings and and experiencing them. Because what did Philip talk about last week? Trials. They're hard. But how do we understand what joy is if we've never gone through it, right? How do we understand how how to walk with somebody if we've never gone through it? How do we understand hope if we've never gone through it? How do we understand faith if we've never gone through it? There's no reason to believe anything in here if we haven't gone through it, right? It starts from sitting in that patience, sitting in that pain patiently and experiencing it. Experiencing it because from it, God brings something good, but we have to be willing to be patient first. So... Let me try to summarize because, yeah, I got all jumbled. Sorry, guys. When we choose to follow Jesus with our lives, I'm just going to read this because I think it's important. Our faith begins. It grows as we grow in our understanding of Jesus. And that takes time too, right? We don't just automatically, we don't just get this stuff like, hey, I choose to follow Jesus with my life. Now my faith is here and my understanding of Jesus, everything's here. No, it grows as we learn and study. That's what grows. And from that, that's where this action flows, okay? From this inward and downward first. It sounds selfish, but really it's the most selfless thing you can do is to be so self-aware, to, be, to know those inner places, to expose them to the light, because that right there says, Jesus, you have to do something with this because I sure as heck can't. That's where it starts. That's the difference between inward and downward and this outward and upward, is we're the ones laying on the floor before the world. We're the ones with our noses in the dirt saying, world, I lift my face to you because it's not about me. It's about Jesus. It's about what his word has promised me, what his word is telling me to do. It's about how I live inward and downward first because then I put myself in a place of surrender before the Lord in a place of surrender before the world. And I say, Out of that is my proof. I'm proving to you that, yes, I say a lot of words, but I believe it. And I'm living it. 
and I'm moving in it because I started inward first with myself. So inward and downward starts in dark places. But that's where we find out we need a savior in the dark places. It's backwards. It's opposite. It doesn't take us to the top. It takes us to the bottom. But in that place, low on the floor, is when our actions are seen by those around us. Because we don't look like everybody else, right? We're not climbing a ladder. We're not stepping over people to get what we want out of this world. We're offering a hand up. It's from that place that compassion happens. And compassion, what does compassion mean? Passion and patience come from the same word. They both mean to suffer. So compassion means to suffer with someone. So we've been there. If we're starting inward and downward, we know what it means to suffer. So I can walk along with somebody else who's suffering. And I can help and I can be there with them because I've been there. That's what compassion is. That compassion is what flows out of faith that is active. That compassion is what flows out of an inward and downward journey first. And compassion, listen, compassion is what's going to eliminate favoritism. Compassion is what is going to say to our neighbors, you matter. Compassion is what's going to tell the world, this is proof of what I believe. Compassion is going to, when we have an act of faith that comes from the inside, inward and downward first, it equals living it out in compassion. It just flows from us. We can't stop it. And that, I guarantee you, that is where we will meet the needs of widows. Like it says in chapter 2, the orphans, the poor and the rich, immigrants, the least of these are enemies. All of those needs are going to be met. But first, it has to start with the inward and downward because our action by itself always stops at us. But action born of faith, action born of trust, action born of the assurance that I know, I know that Jesus works it out in the end, that God works it out in the end, action born from my studying of scripture so that I better understand who Jesus was, who God is, who the Holy Spirit is, and how they pertain to me. That action, those works, those works are where it all begins because they just multiply on their own. They just keep going. We don't have to do anything. It just happens out of us naturally. But we have to start with the inward and downward. And so the inward and downward takes the... Um, the second part of chapter 2 then answers the questions in the first part of chapter 2. So the works and the faith answer the question about favoritism, right? So our, our actions produce an unstoppable outcome when they begin and stem from our growing faith in something beyond ourselves, which comes from an inward-downward approach. Transformation takes patience. Patience isn't fun but it's worth it. And that's what I've spent the last year doing. And this, guys, I just pray that something came out of it because this, this was jumbled for me. And the reason it's jumbled is because I'm living it right now. I'm living it right now. But I know, I'm telling you, I have never 
understood until right now. Right now, I'm 37, 37 years old, until right now what it means to live like Jesus. That's always just been a Christian phrase, live like Jesus. No, this is what it means to live like Jesus. To be flat out on the ground before the world and said, no, I'm not telling you to lift your face. I am here to serve you. I am surrendered to the Lord and what he is doing in my life. And I am here to serve you, not the other way around. And it's harder and you don't get everything you think you want. But guys, I don't want it anymore. I don't want it anymore. So this is fresh for me. This is right on the surface of my heart. And I'm sorry that that comes out in such a crazy way sometimes. But please know that I see the world for the first time. I feel like right now, for the first time, through the eyes of Jesus. Through the eyes of Jesus. Because when you looked for Jesus, where did you find him? Among the least of these, right? Not scared because you're going to screw something up. Not chasing a dream that is worthless. But among the least of these, sacrificing everything in a humbled, surrendered position because everything with Jesus started inward and downward. There was no darkness in him. And for me, the darkness is exposed. There's not going to be any dark places in my soul. And that might make other people uncomfortable, but it's freedom. There's freedom in obedience. It sounds backwards, but there is freedom in obedience. And that is how I've been living this last year. And it's been the hardest thing I've ever done. The hardest thing. It's easy to cover things up and pretend like you're perfect and you have it all together. It's really hard to actually have to trust Jesus to make your mess something better. It's really hard to live that way, but that's what faith and actions does. Inward and downward equals downward to your feet. It equals moving, but moving in a way that says, world, I'm not just spewing words about Jesus. In fact, I'll shut up. I'm going to walk it out. I'm going to live it out. Because my actions, as I tell my kids, prove it. My actions will always speak louder than my words. Always speak louder than my words. And my actions, I pray, I pray, look like Jesus. That's been my prayer over the last year. His life hurts. There's a lot going on. I ended up in a place and I don't even know why I'm here. But Jesus, I want to be like you. And I can't do that if I don't start inward and downward and let that be my movement. Because when you ask the Holy Spirit to speak to you, he's it. He, if you profess to know Jesus, he's in you. All you have to do is turn it on. If you ask the Holy Spirit to speak to you, he will. And he walks, he walks with me. I'm not walking alone. Even though sometimes it does feel like you're alone. You're not. Let me end with this. Lisa Turker says, if you want his promises, you have to trust his process. That's where faith comes in. The process isn't a cruel way to keep you from the promise. It's the exact preparation you'll need to handle the promise. It's the exact preparation you'll need to handle the promise. 
We don't even know. We think we know what these promises are, but we haven't experienced any of them really to the fullest if we haven't gone on the journey where the preparation happens. And that starts inside. That starts with saying, expose the dark places in me. I don't want them there anymore because I want to be like Jesus and I can't be like Jesus. I can't live this thing out. So the world believes, because trust me, they don't believe anymore, do they? They're not believing by our words. So it's going to take different movement now, inward and downward, to walk it out and live it out. Because that's what James is talking about. Live it out. Live it out. We're going to go into our time of worship now. And here at Awaken, we have stations, as you can see, set up here. Just different ways to engage in worship. Maybe the cross over here is someplace you need to visit. Because maybe there's a piece of you that you know this inward and downward journey is not happening because there's this piece of darkness that I'm afraid to encounter. Maybe you need to write it down, expose it to the light. Because the, the faith, living out the faith, walking out the faith, living out this life in a manner that represents Jesus, you can't have the dark places. Expose them to the light. Or ask him, spend time there, asking him, God, reveal to me, Holy Spirit, tell me where I need to remove this, in, this outward and upward approach in my life and switch to inward and downward. Because I want natural action to happen, not man-made. Maybe you need to remember, over here at our communion station, maybe you need to remember, be in awe and wonder of who God is and what he did. And remember how much he loves you, what he wants to do in your life, what is represented in the blood in the, in the, the, blood in the body, the bread in the cup. We also have the stone washing station. And over here, maybe there's a, a part of you that you need to ask for, something you need to ask forgiveness for to um, let the light shine on it in this way, in this manner. There's nothing magical, just right on the rock, whatever you need to wash it away in the water. Just representing how when we ask the Lord to take it from us, he does. And he remembers it no more so we don't have to remember it anymore. But spend time as we worship. I know, guys, remove me from the equation. I'm human, and I've only done this a few times. I'm working on it, but God had a message here tonight that he wanted you to hear. So if you're confused about that, ask him. In this moment, as we're worshiping, God, what was it that you wanted me to hear? He will tell you. He will tell you. Ask him to make you more like him because that's what the world needs. That's what the world needs. They need Jesus represented in us. They don't need our words. They don't need our pretending. They need actual, authentic action, and that comes from inward and downward first. It's scary, but if I can do it, you can do it. Let's go ahead and worship together.